0: Thank you, Kent. Good morning, everyone. Kids, hope you have a great time as you study and learn together in Gospel Project. <laughs> Hi, Evie. <laughs> I couldn't tell if Evie was yelling ducky or chucky. I guess either one work. we are being Habakkuk today. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. We uh, started last week to begin to talk about this great book that we'll spend roughly the next two months in together. So I'm looking forward to doing it that with you. We are, uh, if you look around, a diverse church in terms of age and ethnicity and yet we do lean young. So one of the things that might be particularly helpful for those of us who are young in the room to hear now is what we said last week. And that's that sorrow plays no favorites. Sooner or later, if you live long enough, every one of us will face very significant crisis and hardship. Things that we thought we would never encounter and wrestle with. It might be physical or financial, relational, vocational, or any other all. But some form of hardship will come. And the temptation that you'll face is that it's relatively easy as a Christian, especially in periods of prolonged difficulty, to get frustrated with God. If you don't have a category ahead of time for a good, sovereign, patient, powerful, loving God who brings about hardship then those times will be much more difficult than they must be. It sounds something like this, God, you promised me life and peace and joy, but now all I'm getting is pain and suffering and crisis. And so one of the perennial questions in the Bible is why? Why, God, would you allow this kind of thing to happen? This is when the questions and the doubts start Rolling in like those monsoon clouds that we watch often in the distance, certain times in the year. Big, billowy, ominous doubts and questions. God, why didn't you heal my mother? God, how long will I have to wait for a spouse? God, why do I have to work in these conditions? God, if you are who you say you are, then how in the world could something like Syria happen? God, can I never catch a break and get just one paycheck ahead? The book of Habakkuk is built on questions. Notice in verse 1, it says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. The word oracle means burden, and what follows this verse, seemingly through the entire rest of the book, is burden after burden after burden after burden. And some of us are here today with burdens. Of all places, we ought to be able to go and be honest about burdens, it ought to be here. Right? what happens when you have a burden that you don't share and that burden doesn't last a day or a week or a month but months maybe even years well friends what happens is that burden will rot you from the inside out if you keep it to yourself that burden will be the end of you not so much because of what the burden is but Because of what holding the burden does, creates bitterness and anger, and many people will spend their final years of life alone. Precisely because of this lack of burden sharing. Are you happy you came this morning? This is what Habakkuk is about. We can learn a lot from Habakkuk if we don't hold these burdens in. Habakkuk didn't hold his in. He shared it. And if we get nothing else from the book, then I hope we can get that. That there is a God who can handle burden sharing. And there's a church that wants to be a church where we bear each other's burdens. We'll be in the chair Bibles on page 540. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn with me there. Uh, A member is going to come in just a moment and read the passage for us. But before she does, let's take just a moment to remember what preaching is. Here's a quote on the screen. Preaching is not a conversation about some interesting ideas. It is not the moment in which postmoderns hear their own private message in the biblical words, one unique to each one who hears and then go on their way. No, this is God speaking. He speaks through the stammering lips of the preacher. No amens there. Where the preacher's mind is on the text of the scripture and his heart is in the presence of God. God, as Luther put it, lives in the preacher's mouth. This is the kind of preaching that issues a summon which nourishes the soul, which draws the congregation into the very presence of God, so that no matter what aspect of his character, his truth, his working in the world is in focus, we leave with awe, gratitude, encouragement, and sometimes a rebuke. We've been in the very presence of God. This is what great preaching always does. A church we're committed to faithfully preaching the whole Bible. That will mean sometimes we're in easy, light, fluffy, encouraging, warm text. But it will mean at other times that every word seems to sting. And for a church that's committed to the whole Bible, that develops a people who are getting the whole diet of God's Word, which ultimately is good for us. So let's wrestle with tough concepts together through this series because ultimately that's what we need, is a God who speaks to every aspect of life. So Dana, would you come? This is Dana Leinberger, and she's going to read for us Habakkuk 1, 1 1-2. for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Thank you for that encouraging word, Dana. <laughs> we want to consider these brief couple of verses from uh, four angles today. Uh, one, we'll talk from just a few minutes about the man, the, the man Habakkuk. Two, we'll spend the longest amount of time on the times. What happened that led to these words. Third, we'll consider the problem. What is this guy so upset about? And then finally, uh, the savior. Is Jesus anywhere in those words we just read? So the man, the times, the problem, the savior. Let's consider first uh, the man, Habakkuk. We know literally nothing about this guy besides what's in these three chapters nothing. He doesn't show up anywhere else in the Bible. There's a little bit of speculation about him in history, but it's probably even not referring to the same guy. So all we have is his time period, his name, and that he was a prophet. That's it. But that's okay. Because Habakkuk is to be heard not because of who he was, but because of who he spoke for. See, the prophets in the Old Testament were the mouthpieces of God. They weren't claiming to carry a message of their own, but to speak on behalf of the God of heaven and earth. And so whenever God speaks, we want to be people who listen, right? And so we can listen to Habakkuk well, knowing that we're listening to God, even though we know very little about him. Habakkuk is part of what is sometimes referred to as uh, the 12. I'm sure you woke up this morning and thought, I'm looking forward to learning about the 12. Uh, The 12 is a way of referring to those books in your Bible that stretch from Hosea to Malachi or Malachi if you're of Italian descent. Hosea to Malachi, those 12 books are what are known as uh, the minor prophets. Doesn't mean they're unimportant. It means that they're short. So that's roughly probably 60 pages in your Bible. And very tempting to just skip over them. If you're on one of those Bible reading plans, your temptation when you hit Hosea is going to be, I'm looking forward to Matthew, and just jump over all 12. The problem is these are part of God's Word And so we want to consider them together. These 12 books span about 350 years in Israel and Judah's history. So if you're a, a person that likes to spot where things are in terms of chronology, this is roughly 770, 780 B.C. until around 430, 425 B.C. And their messages revolve around three basic things all 12 essentially say the same things over and over and over in different ways. They say three things. Number one, repentance from sin is good. Number two, judgment is coming and it's bad. Number three, hope for the future. Repent, judgment, hope. That's the message of the 12. Now what makes Habakkuk a little unusual is that if you've read through it in preparation for this you've probably noticed that it reads more like you stumbled across habakkuk's moleskin journal and you've opened it up and you're reading his own personal prayers laments questions to god is that ever a habit that you have tried to pick up maybe not all the time but every now and then when you're wrestling with something difficult Try picking up a journal and writing out some thoughts. That, in some ways, is what Habakkuk reads like. There's a powerful indirect lesson for us here in that we know almost nothing about him. And that's this. In general, 2017, we are people pretty consumed with ourselves. It's possible to live an entire life devoted to making your name great. But in all honesty, the truth is, whether you live 30 years or 80 years or 90 years, the vast majority of us, when we've been gone for 10, few if any people will remember anything about us. A life spent on self is a life wasted. Habakkuk apparently wasn't very concerned about his own reputation. As we walk through this book, there's a whole lot of unflattering things about him that he's telling us. At the very least, we see him at times being a spiritually immature guy. But Habakkuk's focus wasn't on himself. It was on his God. Nothing about the man survived, and yet all these years later, we're still talking about him. Because he was a man who met with God. He was a man who brought his needs to God and found God to be sufficient. He was a man who cared not about his name, but about his name. May that be true of us? So, this is the man. How about the times? I want to spend the majority of our message this morning here because this will set the tone for the rest of the book. So give me 10, 12 minutes to tell you a whole bunch of stuff that you don't really care about that will help us understand the rest of the book. Uh, Habakkuk is an incredibly personal, intense interaction between a troubled man and a sovereign God. Now, what exactly was going on in his time? Well, to, to get the gravity of it, we've got to back up a little bit prior to Habakkuk, to the earlier days of history among the people of God, the Israelites. After hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and... Whoa. That would have made for a story. Those of you who couldn't tell, I was on one leg. One chair leg, that is. After hundreds of years of waiting, God's people are finally in God's land, experiencing God's blessings with God's word, living for God's glory. So we're past King Saul and into King David. And, and this, this is the shining moment for the people of Israel. But then things get even better. King Solomon, David's son, is on the throne. And now God's temple is built. So God's presence is among God's people. This is it. This is the glory days for the people of Israel. They're at the very apex of their history as a nation. God's wisdom is going out. There's endless wealth in a land flowing with milk and honey. Finally, God's people are in God's land under God's blessing. All the other nations around are saying, wow, look at God. It looks like everything God ever promised is right here. They're living it. But then Solomon died. And a civil war of sorts ensued. And the result was the nation of Israel was split in two. Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and never, ever, ever again would those two nations come back together? The northern nation only lasted 200 years. So the people that were supposed to be a nation forever, 200 years more and they're gone. A dude named Tiglath Pileser. Now, those of you in the room who are married and you want to have kids, this is what happens when the husband names the child. All right? Don't do that. Gals, you carry the baby. You can decide the name. All right? So Tiglath-Pileser, who was in charge of Assyria, sacks Israel. Israel is gone. Decimated. People are carried off. Never, ever, ever to be a nation again. Judah in the south... This is Habakkuk's area, sees all of this, all the people in the South see it, and what, do you, what are they wondering? So let me put it this way. Canada and Mexico both fall to the most wicked nation you can think of, who is What? Everybody's scared right now. Come on. North Korea. What? <laughs> I guess this was a risky question. <clears throat> You're, whatever your nation of choice. So they're thinking, are we next? Is it going to happen to us? But Judah continues on. But Judah has bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king after bad king. king. Until we get to Josiah. King Josiah. He, He reaches the throne because his dad dies. He's just a boy. But as a teenager, he has some kind of great encounter with God. And so he begins leading the nation into reforms. Under Josiah, who's just a kid, Judah experienced revival. Judah tears down all the idolatry, and he begins quickly using power to pursue the good of the people instead of their evil. That's what leaders do. And he was ruling when a great discovery was made. Maybe you know the story if you've read the Old Testament closely. But he's he's rebuilding, he's renovating the temple. This was the center of worship for the people of God. It had fallen into disrepair. So blue-collar dudes go in with buckets of paint and they start cleaning up the temple. And guess what they find? They find a scroll. The people of God had gotten so far from God that they completely lost the Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of an ancient scroll, but they're huge huge. This isn't like you losing your pocket New Testament. All the people didn't have Bibles. The the scroll was in the temple. The people would come to the temple, the scroll would be unread, and they would read. But no one was using the scroll anymore. And so this blue-collar worker finds the Bible, brings it to Josiah, Josiah reads it, and he's devastated. As he hears, probably, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He sees his own sin. He sees the sin of the people. He calls them together. They read. And they're broken. Which if you have trouble placing things in the Old Testament, I would say, I'm right there with you. Who put the thing together? Like, why is it not chronological? But guess who probably would have been somebody there? Not Habakkuk, but Daniel. Later we hear these stories about Daniel. Daniel's the dude in the lion's den. Like, how did he get this courage? Well, probably as a teenager, he saw Josiah leading the people into reforms. Youth, don't ever doubt what God could do through you. College students, don't ever doubt. Not later when you're grown up, but now, what God can do through you. And so, Josiah leads all of these reforms. There's national revival. Wouldn't that be amazing to see? There's been two of these in America's history. We are long overdue. Can you imagine living in a nation where the people as a whole come under God that'd be wonderful so that happened in Josiah's day so it appeared again that we're back to the days of Solomon we're back to the very heights of God's people now I hope you're still with me because here's where it gets kind of crazy At this time, now we're at Habakkuk's day. There are three world powers, one of them far bigger than the other, but three people you had to contend with. One of them was not Judah, all right? Judah is like Rhode Island. Judah, Rhode Island is about a thousand square miles and about eight people live there. (laughs) Nobody's afraid of Rhode Island, okay? That's Judah. But the powers of the day were Assyria. These, this is the big daddy, the world superpower. For hundreds of years, they've ruled. And they were a wicked, evil, aggressive people. But they're on the decline. There's this other nation, Babylon, or the Chaldeans, that we'll read about later in Habakkuk. They're the up-and-coming group. And then there's Egypt. Egypt was always a formidable foe. So here's what happens exactly that starts the context in which Habakkuk is written. Nico, a guy in charge of Egypt, writes to King Josiah and says, I want to go up and take issue with Babylon and Assyria. So I got to pass through your land. Will you let us come through? And Josiah says... No. No turnpike up through here. So, how do you think Nico reacted to that? This is Rhode Island telling the rest of the United States, you can't pass through here. That that ain't going to happen. So, Nico comes with his army up into Judah anyway. And Josiah, I love this dude. This is one of the best guys in the whole Bible. Josiah says, I'm not going down for a decision. I'm not going to let my people go down for a decision I made while I sit in my palace. So he disguises himself as a soldier and goes out in the battlefield. Guys, that's a leader. This is a godly, courageous, sacrificial man. But he gets killed. That's the downside. So Josiah gets killed, and very quickly, the nation spirals out of control. One son's put in power. He only lasts, I mean, a very short amount of time. Nico comes back through, puts the other son in power. And so now Judah is, is simply a vassal state under Egyptian rule. The whole nation goes into mourning. We thought we had it with Solomon. We thought we had it with Josiah. And now, almost overnight, false gods are being put back in. People have lost the word of God again. Israel, Judah, isn't even in charge of themselves now. So things have gone from bad to really bad. Have you had that moment? This is like I've heard the C word, all right? I got cancer. Inoperable, not gonna make it. Lifespan, a couple years. But you find a new doctor, there's a new treatment. They go in and they remove the tumor. So you don't even need chemo. But then there's these five years. Those of you who have had cancer, you know. Five years. Every six months you go back in your test. Yes, God answers prayer. Yes, God answers prayer. Yes, God answers prayer. Third year, cancer's back. And not only is it back, it's like everywhere. They tell you you got a month. What do you do when that happens? If you're not ready ahead of time, those storm clouds, they're dark. And those dust storms, they can wreck your faith. This is Habakkuk's time. Things have gone from bad to worse. Evil is thriving around the world. And God's people are disregarding him. It's as though everywhere Habakkuk looks, people are doing wicked things. Now, of course, The evil bothered him. But something bothered him more. Did you catch what it is? What bothered him even more was the inaction of God. It's that person with one month to live, and they're praying, God, you did it once. Just intervene again. God, all you've got to do is say, no more cancer. That's it. But those prayers don't seem to be passing even the ceiling, let alone God in heaven on the throne. This is Habakkuk's time. Now, how about his problem? Well, one basic problem drove Habakkuk into desperate prayer. It's that violence, iniquity, wrongdoing, destruction, strife, contention, and wickedness surround him. And God seems to be doing nothing in response. God appeared silent, God appeared disinterested, God appeared far removed. And that's not the God that Habakkuk believed in. He believed in a God of justice, and a God of truth, a God of goodness, and power, and love, and commitment. And so the same questions that we saw last week in that psalm are the same questions Habakkuk finds himself grappling with. How long? And why? How long? And why? How long, Lord, will your people give themselves to idol worship? How long will you allow wicked, evil people to rule over us? How long will you let your people prosper when they don't obey you? And the small group of us that do, we face suffering at every turn. How long? And then why? Why aren't you doing jack squat, God? Why don't you listen? I thought you cared. Why would you put leaders over us who would lead us away from you? Friends, one of the fascinating phenomenons of being a human being is that whatever you say on this side of suffering about God, Christian or not, almost always when someone faces severe crisis and hardship, they recover prayer. How many people you know who say, God doesn't exist, but then there's some really heinous, awful thing, and they're asking, how long and why? It's almost as though we innately know there is a God, and things aren't supposed to work like this. How long, Lord, will my relationship with my parents be non-existent? How long, Lord, will I be unable to conceive? If you are good, God, why would you allow a war in Syria that has displaced 11 million people? Why, God, if you have the power to do whatever you want, would you allow a half a million people to be killed there? Including 55,000 children. To bring it closer to home, why, God, if your church is to be the display of your glory, why have you allowed so many churches in Arizona to be ineffective and unhelpful? That seems like, God, some pretty pathetic glory. Why, if the gospel transforms, do so many Christians live worldly lives, marked more by guilt than by victory? Why? These are the opening questions of Habakkuk. And and friend, I love you more than you could ever know. And so I want to say to you, If you haven't asked those questions yet, it's not because you squeaked by. It's because it's still coming. This is what happens to human beings. Unless you go out in some freak car accident, you're going to hit suffering and you're going to ask how long. And why? Do you see now why we need this book? Three chapters tucked away in the stuff we like to skip. But my gosh, is it powerful. And all we've done is read his opening journal entry. And I don't know about you, but my soul is filleted open. Next week, Lord willing, we will study God's first response to Habakkuk. If you've never read it, please do so before you're sitting in this room. Because the answer doesn't seem very helpful at first. But let's end today by thinking together about how this pertains to the gospel. Is Jesus anywhere? Well, as we work our way through the book of Habakkuk, what we'll find consistently is that Habakkuk felt abandoned by God. Habakkuk thought God seemed silent. And Habakkuk questioned God's judgment. So this threefold difficulty, if you will, that Habakkuk had as he looked out at his life was that he felt abandoned by God, God seemed silent, and God's justice was in question. Abandonment, silence, and lack of justice. Now, fascinatingly, you you can't make this kind of stuff up. All three of those struggles are fully and finally resolved in Jesus Christ. Let me walk you through that. Jesus was abandoned by God on the cross. God really was silent when Jesus cried out to him. And God's justice came in the most surprising way as Jesus died on the cross. In other words, brothers and sisters, let me speak to the, to the Christians in the room. Jesus was abandoned so that you will never be. Habakkuk just felt abandoned, but Jesus really was. God was silent when Jesus, with outstretched arms, cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, for the first moments in all of time prior. His relationship with the Father was broken because your sin and my sin was placed upon him. So he cried out to the Father for help, and he got nothing. He got only deafening, maddening, killing silence so that you never will. Christian, God is never silent. His word towards you is always good. All you've got to do is open your Bible. The Spirit lives within you. The Spirit speaks God's words. Now you might feel as though there's times of the silence of God. God. But God is not silent. Jesus faced the silence of God, so you don't have to. And then, most pertinent to the book of Habakkuk, as, as we look, some of you, this is, um, this is not in my notes, okay? So if this is offensive, it's offensive on the fly not premeditated offense. Do you ever turn on your TV in passing or listen to somebody on the radio or check who's at the top of the Christian podcast list or consider what the biggest church is in America and say, God, are you not just? Like, the biggest clowns get the biggest audience. The most popular preacher in America is a heretic. He does not preach anything anywhere close to the biblical gospel. He preaches Oprah. Does that bother you? Not bother you at the level of, gosh I wish my church was bigger. (laughs) But bother you at the level of why would God allow that? This dude claims, he opens the Bible and claims to speak for God. That's messed up. God, are you not just? Why, Why let a stinking stadium of people every week sit in that garbage. Or to put it here, God, why is it that sometimes our behavior is no different than those who don't make any claim to Christ? The same sexual perversion out there is present in here. How do people act in the world when there's a, a hurt? Same in here. Why? God, why are you tolerating the sins of the world among your people? That's what Habakkuk is asking. But friends, is God just? Yes. Habakkuk asked it. But we, this side of the cross, should have absolutely no question. Is God just? The ultimate act of God's justice was taken on by God himself. God gave up his own life to satisfy his justice So that you would know no wrath, only love. How dare we question, is God just? Christians, we do struggle, but never because God has abandoned us or refuses to speak or ignores injustice. Never. How do we know that? The gospel tells us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is good news. Let's pray. Father, I pray specifically for Those among us who are not yet followers of Christ, they're undecided, unsure about the gospel. We pray, Father, that you would use the book of Habakkuk to allow them to see that questions, difficulties, suffering is hard. And you can take the questions. Father, I pray even now that those who are here with other people who are undecided about Jesus would hang around in the room for a while and would talk. Would seek to get some questions answered. God, I pray you'd open eyes and ears and that there would be a response to your gospel. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have been rescued by God from sin. I pray if they today feel abandoned, or that you're silent, or that there are things going on in their lives where you are not being just, that God, you would awaken them anew to the wonder of the gospel. They would leave encouraged.